All right, all right, all right. Jason and I are coming at you from, I'm coming from Central Texas, Hayes County, just south of Austin, and Jason's coming at you from Chafee County and the tiny burg of BV, just outside the tiny burg of Buena Vista, Colorado. Jason, you made the move. You've, you've, you've pulled up stakes and set down roots and tell us about your trip and, and, and what BV is uh, throwing at you. Cause I hear you guys have a little bit of weather as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> weather. Yeah. Uh, the, the trip was good, uneventful. Um, but I, I did have this interesting reflection on the drive. I drove the moving truck all the way. It was a U-Haul, like a 20 foot van you know, no cruise control, loud as fuck inside. Nobody wants to ride with me because it kind of sucks. And, uh, you know, normally we do the drive over two days, which we did this time, but we split driving 50-50. So you get like some reprieve from the cognitive demand of like always being on and driving. And um, I didn't have that this time. So it was like two days of just driving that moving van by myself. Like there's no cruise control. The winds were gnarly on the second day and I was towing the Jeep behind it. And it made me think about the time that I spent flying around combat zones oh, in the back of a helicopter, you know, hands on a 50 caliber machine gun, just like constantly vigilant, you know, and I was younger then, like in my early 20s. So I guess I just didn't notice what a drain that was or, or I did because I got super fucking burnt out on that last combat tour. But I was just thinking about it afterwards. I was like, so fucking drained getting out of a moving truck of all things. I'm like, how did I ever make it through five years of the Marine Corps and all those tours in combat? 500 hours in a combat zone flying around in a helicopter and somehow I could do a 10 hour mission and like get get done and get to work for a couple more hours. Yeah, I don't think there's a single soul that would call you soft, but you probably felt soft, right? Yeah. You probably still felt that way. I, I, I feel it these days, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was good. And then, yeah, uh, Colorado welcomed us with two feet of snow this weekend. So Crazy. it snowed from like Friday afternoon when I started making the awards for the Spirit Trail Race this weekend all the way through last night. And then when we went to bed, it was still still snowing crazy and so this morning it's just white cat mountains man it's going to be probably july before we get up into the high altitude to see how fast it melts out but yeah i'm guessing if we got two feet at nine thousand, then it was probably four feet or something like that that's gonna take a while for that to melt up there for sure yeah i mean that's life in the high country man like it 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 throws curveballs all the time and you know we are in a it's hard to say, you know, we've got El Nino going on this year. Then we also have, um, we also have whatever's going on with climate change, whatever that is. Um, so, you know, it's, we, who knows what the new normal is, but it, but in my understanding Texas and Colorado are really similar in the sense that there is no normal, right? Like <laughs> it's cold in the winter, it's hot in the summer and otherwise just be ready for something, be prepared for anything. Um, I spent lots yeah. of summers in my youth up in the high country, just outside Leadville in Twin Lakes area. So right around the corner from where you're at right now. And I would spend, you know, three, four weeks out there um, camping basically, and then leading groups to go do 14ers, to climb 14ers. And, you know, you, you never knew, you never knew. We had weeks where it was pouring down rain on us all the time, snowing on us, weeks where it was beautiful sunshine the whole time. But at any point in time above 10,000 feet, 
shit got real hairy real quick. And if you didn't know yeah. what you were doing, your sphincter puckered up and you were like, whoa, whoa, we're in yeah. trouble here. Um, anybody that's been on trying to peak bag consistently knows what we're talking about. There are um, the dumb people who do dumb shit in the mountains don't last long. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm reminded of your um, attempt at Nolan's the last time where you got stuck up on, was it, was it at Yale? Was it Yale that you were stuck on or which, which, where were you just below what peak that you were trying to get? I was get? on Columbia. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just had yeah, to sit there. On and... Columbia. <clears throat> yeah. A storm system materialized in like 30 minutes. I mean, it was blue skies going up the mountain and I'm like, Oh, there's some clouds. So there's a little precipitation and folks are coming down. I was the only one going up. And I, you know, I, I, I dropped out last year on Nolan's and then I wanted to get out. I wanted to bail on Princeton last year and, uh, and Mallory convinced me to keep going. And so I got through the first night I'm on Columbia and <clears throat> as I'm getting up there, it's starting to sleet on me a little bit. I put my rain jacket on now, any, any other day I would have walked right back down the mountain. I'd been like, Nope, like that's, that's your sign right there. That's all you, that's all you need. It's okay. Uh, there's another day, but I was like, I can't quit. I, I had the, like had the pendulum had swung from like, I, I can't just throw in the towel. I have to persevere. And I all the way up to the summit, I'm in sideways sleet. It's gotta be like 30 degrees or below. And I'm looking North in the direction I'm going and it's just black skies and to the south, it's sun, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And so I was on the summit, just like huddled in my jacket, sideways, sleet and rain coming in. And my trekking poles were on my, like on my lower back, stowed in this band I wear. And they just started humming. And I was like, well, oh, there must be the wind blowing on them, you know, like just doing everything I can to convince myself. I got, so I immediately, you know, headed back down the mountain and I got, I got to Mallory in the woods. I was like, I never put myself in such a stupid fucking situation in the mountains before. Like I've done some shit, but why did I keep going? I don't know. That was just terrible. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of just this aspect. You know, it happens in big, big epic projects like that one more frequently, but it happens for everybody. Even in a 5k, this can happen where you, you have an expectation of what you think is going to happen you think you've got a plan and you're bullheaded enough to see yourself through it and you get into really big trouble. The problem with the kinds of things that you are dealing with, what you were dealing with in that situation is that those are life and death, <laughs> not, yeah. um, you know, some kind of existential philosophical life or death, which we find ourselves in sometimes when we don't get the kind of results that we want to on race day. Um, yeah. And I guess in a sense, this is a nice little, segue into our main topic, which is um, the concept of groundedness, because we talked last time on uh, for the, the episode number three about identity and the looseness and fluidity um, that we were suggesting that identity might entail. And, you know, I was thinking about it a little bit and considering that, hey, we kind of presented a little bit of what I might call a, a via negativa with that, like a little bit of the of the negative way. If you think about a polarity, um, sort of this side that says it's raining on your parade, it's shitty, watch out, reality is not what you think it is. Maybe you don't even have any, like you were on top of that peak, just 
do you have any real reason to be where you are or are you even where you really are? But this week, what we want to talk about is a little bit like, yeah, I am. I could actually get hit by lightning. So I am in some kind of reality. So I need to actually <laughs> figure out some way to get through to the next day if my son wants a father and my wife wants a husband. So right. let's 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 sort of unpack that a little bit. Like, what are we maybe maybe you can give me a little bit of take on a quick review of last episode, thinking through to how you might bridge that topic today to groundedness. And then you and I, as we mentioned offline before we got started recording, we have no fucking idea where we're going with this. So we do, we know, we know what the concept is, but we don't have any, we have a really loose plan that includes no plan at all. And so get on the ride because this may be a ride. I'm not sure where we're going to go. So do us a favor. (laughs) Yeah. Do us a favor and like at least thread us from where we were two weeks ago to where we are today. And then we can move on from there. I can do this. So sort of overarching narrative and i'll just give this from my perspective because this podcast is about us talking about us sometimes and so um you know so my experience and the idea we're trying to tease out here is um when we have this sense of self that we're not really aware of and we we build a strong identity and we identify maybe with the things that we're doing um we we can get really tied to those things. And, and when we do that, when we build that sense of, of self and identity, it draws our ego into what we're doing. So I talked about the example of a runner who suddenly identifies as a runner and then, or a person, a human suddenly identifies as a runner. And they're like, well, if I'm a runner, I gotta be a good runner, right? I gotta, I gotta, gotta get the gear and then track the metrics and then compare myself to other people, all of this, right? And that's all your ego that that is that is fueling that fire. <clears throat> And so, you know, the experience I had was that um, I, you know, the, the way that I grew up, I had a weak sense of self and I didn't really find a strong identity and a, and a strong course in life until I joined the Marine Corps. And, I, you know, as a kid, I had been good at sports and that was always like my meal ticket. But then I was a late bloomer. So I hit high school, all the other kids looked like fucking lumberjacks. And I looked like Pinocchio, you know, I was just like, tiny and, and I couldn't play sports with all the kids and I lost my way. And I didn't find it again until I joined the Marine Corps. And I always had this sense of being, being grounded or like feeling confident about my sense of self and my path in life when I was doing really cool shit. And so you know, being a Marine, that was pretty fucking cool. Um, being a combat veteran, you know, that gave me a strong sense of self and identity for a long time. And then I eventually replaced that with with being an athlete again, with running as I came into it as an adult and got into trail running. And I had a lot of success, you know, and, um, and then I also was like really bought into the narrative of a, of a career and climbing the career ladder and everything that would bring the American dream and all of that. And as I pursued that path and really like doubled down on, on that narrative and that construct in life, I found that a lot of the, the boxes I was checking didn't bring fulfillment or happiness, right? Like I got a college degree, cool. That was pretty easy. I could do the graduate degree thing. Right. And I did that. And I was like, well, that was pretty easy. Let me go for the most prestigious fellowship in the country. And I got that. And then I got the first job from that. And I was like, 
this fucking sucks. I had a shitty job. And I don't know if they all would have been like that, but I bailed on that, you know, and then I got the corporate job and I did really well in that, but that wasn't fulfilling. And so I left that and all the while was further entrenching myself in running because at the same time I was working after, after grad school, we were building spectrum trail racing and I was getting more into coaching. And um, as a, but as I, went through all of this and I gave up on career and, you know, I have, have like really struggled to let go of everything I invested in college and graduate school and, and kind of like walking that path of public service. It's left me thinking like, Oh, I've really radically shifted my worldview about what is important to me from a value standpoint, um, how I spend my time, who I spend my time with, how I make a difference in the world and you know making basically a 180 shift has left me feeling in a lot of ways un unmoored and and sort of like searching for for like what's my framework for life how do i pass through every day and 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 so in the sense what's my ground like how am i grounded and i thought this would be important and maybe it's not but it it seems to me that if we're um if we're asking people to really like peer into their soul and open up their worldview and start to pull the layers of the onion back, if you find things that you no longer agree with because you suddenly realize they're just sort of empty human constructs, um, well, you it might kind of like leave some holes in the floor for you or in your ground, uh, you're kind of like throwing tiles away or something. And and so I think it's important for us to talk just a little bit about, about the the pitfalls, right? So if we're saying, hey, sometimes identity can be a negative trap and it can bring some baggage with it. And maybe you should reshape your your relationship to identity, to your sense of self, and maybe rethink your worldview and really like start to kind of pull pull that apart. We we also want to say, hey, there there are some some downsides to all of this <clears throat> and it may be that you find yourself wandering a little and um maybe as i say a little unmoored um or just kind of losing your ground and so i think that it's also important to think about the practice of groundedness itself groundedness as a thing that is related to everything else that we've been talking about yeah yeah i agree um so what do you think we what are some first steps or first thoughts? I mean, I know that you, as you've mentioned, as you're describing this, it seems like it's, you're in process of this. In a sense, yeah. you may be, you, you're, you're cognizant enough to be able to recognize that this is the situation you find yourself in. Um, and it may be that some of our listeners are in that same place, or maybe they're not quite there yet, or maybe they've got some ideas about how they got there. But it seems to me like you're beyond recognition into acceptance, but how do you, what have been your first steps to either A, recognizing some kind of inherent groundedness, or is it not? Did you have to make those, did you have to ground yourself or did you find yourself grounded in something? Because this is a really important point that I think will, that I'll definitely be wanting to unpack a little bit later about how do we, okay, we can talk about groundedness, but you know, we talked about the slipperiness of identity. Well, equally slippery is the idea that you're going to take somebody else's story 
about what groundedness is. And I'm not speaking of your story, right? I'm speaking, right. where are you going to find that ground? How would someone take first steps? Recognition, something's going on here. How do I, how do I keep myself grounded? What were maybe the, some of the first steps and how do you, how would you be discussing this with an athlete who might come to you and say, Hey, I'm listening to you guys, but a let's, let's take, let's take athlete one. I'm listening to you guys. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> let's start with that one. And then B, and then I want you to take the perspective of how you might talk to B who is, Oh, I'm definitely there, but where do I go? Like, what do I do now that I'm unmoored? Um, so maybe you can talk about that a little bit. And then, um, when you finish, I can kind of throw in some of my, my views and my points. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I think the first thing, if, uh, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who's kind of like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> it, these, um, I had an international economics professor in graduate school. He said, uh, I submit to you that this is not entirely intuitive. <laughs> your, your favorite thing to hear when you talk about statistics and economics. Um, it, these are concepts that are are hard to wrestle with. And part of the reason for that is that we just, we grow up inheriting cultural norms and worldviews and all this stuff that we just take for granted, right? Like you're at a young age, we think we're just getting truth put at us. And it takes a long time to understand that, that that's not really a thing, uh, that we're, we really exist in a world of ideas and conceptual frameworks that help us make sense out of something that is otherwise completely bewildering to us. And that's everything about the world we live in, life, reproduction, grass growing, trees, whatever. Um, the second thing is that like, even if you come around to this idea a little bit, understand that it doesn't really change anything materially for your existence in this world, other than your perspective, which really is if you if you follow a Stoic philosophy, that's the only thing you have control over. Really, is your perspective on all of the things that happen to you. Yeah, the Stoics talk about the view from above, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, if you're along on the ride with us, then the I think the first thing I would start with is, is one we've already talked about, which is core values. If you wanna if you wanna find like a new ground really start to think about what you value, what's important for you, um, and write that down and think about it, wrestle with it. It could be a word, right? Like autonomy, but then, you know, the second order is to kind of like write out what does autonomy mean for you? For me, it means the ability to take as much control over how I spend my time as possible. That's something that I value a lot. Um, and that is antithetical to valuing a career <laughs> and all of the, the material trappings that come with that life, right? So that's part of my 180 um, is I realized it's a bad deal to sell all of my labor to somebody <clears throat> for just about any amount of money. Um, and so really sitting down and thinking about your core values and what you value in life, and this should be things that deal with morality and ethics and love and compassion and like you know it's okay to be emotional about your values and, and to find those things that are important because that will help you make decisions in life on a day-to-day -day basis and get through through life doing the things that are important to you and it'll help you find 
things that you can do with your time of that's productivity or something else that that are important and valuable. <clears throat> the the next thing I think that is most important and takes a lot of time. The values too are fluid, right? They're not. Um, they're a checkpoint in time. They're going to change. You're going to learn more about yourself and what's important and. And, and so come back to your values on a regular basis, quarterly, twice a year, um, do it with other people if you want to, that's all good. The, and then the second thing is to, to find um, a philosophy of life. And this philosophy of life idea I take from William B. Irvine, who's an American philosophy professor. He wrote a book on stoicism called A Guide to the Good Life. He's kind of like a one of the prominent American philosophers today thinking about how we take ancient wisdom and make it practical for today. Um, and that philosophy of life is, you, you know, you think about it as um, like the philosophic tenets of any religion, the sort of the non-secular parts of those. Um, so, you know, anyone who may strongly identify as a Christian and follows the Christian religion, there, you're, you're living a lot of these ethical values that come from that religion, but then you're also, there's also this like magical and sort of mythical part of it. Um, and so feel free to take sort of the non-secular parts of any religion slash philosophy. Even Stoicism had its, you know, religious elements to it, Buddhism, Hinduism, they all do. Um, and start to work on that. And your philosophy of life can also be religion. It is perfectly fine if you choose to follow any religion that's out there in the world. That is something that will help you stay grounded um, because it also gives you a third piece of, of finding a good ground, which is community. Um, community is really important. And <clears throat> so your community could be your church community. It could be your running group. Uh, it could be your beer pong social hour that you have every Thursday or whatever that is your Dungeons and Dragons um, crew, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do. Yeah. And then, um, so there is a, a, a relatively good book that came out recently called the practice of groundedness by a guy named Brad Stolberg. He's, he's relatively young. He wrote a he co-wrote a book called Peak Performance that many of you may have heard of recently. Oh, I have, yeah, because um, Steve Magnus wrote it with him. He's a running coach of of some renown. Right. Yep. Yeah. He wrote the science of and um, yeah, Brad. Um, after that book, suffered really hard from obsessive compulsive disorder, and so he was like, you know, unmoored and had to find his way back. He has a couple of other things he talks about that I think are really important, and. Um, Two of them, uh, well, so one of them we talk about all the time here, which is movement. Have a movement practice, move your body. That will really help you. And the other thing, which will be really important when we ask you to question your worldview and rethink a concept like identity is to embrace vulnerability. And if you can't, um, if you can't be vulnerable with yourself or with others, it's going to be really hard to change. And what I found for myself is you, I stay closed in and um, everything that I need to talk about or be vulnerable about exists in my head. And it just plays and plays and plays and plays. And it's a constant distraction from focusing attention on the present moment and making real change. And so um, that'd be my starting point. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. That's uh, that's a lot. And 
a couple of notes I want to make on those points. The first is is that we when we talk about groundedness, one of the key and you alluded to this in your last thing and what you just said. I have found in my experience recently, especially because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this topic because I'm working on a project where I'm trying to find how the elements, the idea of earth, air, fire, water, um, which are traditional Western elements. There's also a fifth element called ether or the etheric, which is spirit. Um, but in most, and, and the, these elements play out in a lot of different wisdom traditions throughout the world. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this. And I have realized in the discussion of what is the earth ground and where, is, where am I at with earth that I spend so much time in my head. And I, I challenge our listeners to spend a week just checking where they find themselves in any given moment. And I guarantee you 99% of the time you're going to be in your head. Now that, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing, but it's going to be extremely challenging to be grounded if you're spending a considerable period of time in your head. And our rational space is a real challenge for many of us because we have no discipline. Because we don't have mental discipline, we will, that time we're spending up in the upper register in our head, we're, we're just pinging around like our, like my five-year-old stepdaughter looking at Instagram, like looking on the social media. She's like, bing, 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 bing. We, we're all that way. That's how we are. And so then it's like, I, so I'm having this experience of running or walking or experiencing the world and saying, ah, there it is. I note that thought. Where am I? Where's my thought? First of all, I'm not that thought. Second of all, that thought is here in a second and it's gone in a second and it has no value, but yet I chase it and I'm chasing the next one. And then I'm chasing the next one and I'm chasing the next one. And a little bit of experience doing that, and all of a sudden you say, I just say to myself, where are my feet? And this aspect of being grounded is, has been unbelievably fruitful for me. Um, it's a little weird at first because it took me a little time to then realize, oh, the ground is my friend. I can make friendly with it, that I have an inherent goodness. And I'm going to go into some of these concepts in just a little bit that fully, more fully flesh out this concept of groundedness. But I had to, to get there. I just had to see the other side of it, which is, wow, I spent a lot of times up in my head. And if you're thinking about these concepts that you were just discussing, Jason, what are my core values? How do they play out? What is my philosophy of life? And you're spinning in an eternal circle of ungrounded, unmoored thought processes. How are you going to ground that into that core value? So one of the things I would just say with, with Jason's thought of your core values is go back, take those core values, write them out, and ask yourself, do you feel them somewhere? Can you feel them in your body? If you can feel them in your body, you can pull it into the ground. Because the ground is here for us at all times. The ground is always here. Gravity is always attaching us to the ground. Is this a curse? I don't know that it's a curse or a blessing. It's just a fact of fucking life. But it seems like the way we operate with our thought processes that we are constantly fighting this ground, that we're constantly fighting this nature we find ourselves in, this 
grounded experience. And if you're finding yourself dissatisfied in aspects of identity and wandering a little bit and trying to figure out where to go, my first recommendation is check your head, as the great Beastie Boys said, right? And then find out, watch how unsatisfactory 98% of your thought processes are. And then any thought processes that come about that are, whoo, I like that. Ooh, core values. I've got a core value of X. Ground it. Bring it into your body first. Find it in your body. Emotions, feelings. Does it hit your heart? Does it hit your gut? Does it hit your head? Does it hit your, you know, but bring that thought into your body and then bring that back down to the reality that you find yourself in, whether you're on your back in bed or you're on your feet walking through day-to-day -day life, or you're sitting on your can recording a podcast, or you're doing whatever you're doing, you are grounded because gravity has brought you here. And so think through that. Think, just think about the reality of your experience. Because here's the thing, Jason. Give, give me just a sec to go down this other, this one little path that I'd like to go down. If you do this enough, you'll find that the earth loves you. This sounds super mystical. I'm phrasing it in a super mystical way. But what you'll find is there's a basic inherent goodness in the earth. It's there for you. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's even more constant than the sun or the moon. It's just constantly here. It's a presence in your life. And, and I'll tell you, I just happen to love nature. So the idea, I'm a trail runner, so I love the idea of the ground. I love the idea of earth. I love the idea of being in those spaces. And so to me, when I began to say, oh, I see my flitting thoughts, I see that I can ground them into something a little bit more real. And then that reality has some level of care for me or some level of, of support for me. I'm suddenly able to turn my terrible, no good, very bad thoughts about who I am as a human being and say, well, wait, I must be worth something to something because here I am. Now, I do get some people are going to say, well, that seems a little personal, right? Well, I've just made it personal. So that's up to you whether or not you want to do that. Um, but my experience of the earth is very personal and it has been for an exceedingly long time. It has been something that I've been able to come as a runner. I trust it. It helps me. It's good for me. I, I know it. Spending time in the mountains, I know that. You know, mountains are definitely earth, earth symbol. Um, so I, I, I challenge folks to consider this idea of A, watching thoughts, bringing them to the body, bringing the body to the ground, recognizing the ground is there and is always there, and maybe some inherent natural goodness that we can find in ourselves will become evident. And if you have that, it's a great scaffolding to hang values, relationships, um, goals, points of view, uh, challenge and uncertainty, because you've got at least some place that you can go to. And to me, this has been a deeply meaningful, and I would actually argue spiritual practice. There's no is 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 the earth a god? I don't know, but it's certainly from in its, you know, archetypal, the archetype typical way I'm thinking about it as being this thing that every human being has been subject to, that seems to be generally beneficial, beneficial and helpful and useful, and 
if that's true, if you can even get to that point, you're going to have to recognize some basic natural inherent goodness in you. And if that happens, holy shit, you're cooking with grease. There's a lot you can do with that. There's a lot of things you can move with that that then makes these other points that you've made even more effective and even more robust, resilient, juicy, right? Soulful because I'm always here. I'm always, I'm always present. I'm always awake and alive. That's, I, I have found it unbelievably useful in a day-to-day practice that, yeah, it's a little metaphysical, maybe a little bit mystical, but also really, really fucking practical. I mean, the ancients talked about the earth element and its aspect of what we may call self as the human, the physical human body. So like there is this eons long representation of the earth and man, or I don't mean man as the man with the thing dangling between his legs, but all of us as human beings, but earth and mankind, earth and humankind as being equals and, and part of a bigger, larger, more beautiful order that you have an opportunity to tap into and perhaps um, be a really formative and useful modality on your path as you're beginning to create these values and think about what you hold as true and real in the world. And um, I think that to me has always seemed more effective than the Christian walk I had when I was younger or um, other metaphysical or spiritual paths I've tried to walk down that haven't always jived with me because they seemed a little too conceptual or esoteric or yeah, there's an esoteric element to the earth, but there's also this practical, real thing going on. Uh, I love what you're saying. Um, the, fir- the first thing that comes to mind for me is this imagery of, of like completing a circuit. So you have this concept of mindful awareness, which um, if you follow any sort of Buddhist based meditation practice, the whole thing is, can you recognize the effect that you're, you exist in this conscious, the space of conscious awareness and thoughts are just, you're not thinking the thoughts. They're just coming up and you either identify with them or you watch them pass by. And um, in this case, you're, you're encouraging us to actually like watch them just pass through you into the ground. And, um, and it's sort of like this flow of energy, right? And you're the human body is the circuit connecting the space of awareness to the ground of reality. Right. And what's not um, rather than, yeah, what's not useful yeah. will 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 push out into the rest of that ground and not come back to you because it's not useful. You don't need it, so it's not real. So right. it doesn't actually. It, I mean, it's real. It has some kind of reality, but it's not then coming back into your awareness space. You know, I heard. I can't remember who made this quote, but I just love it when you talk about awareness. Is he said, "People don't have thoughts. Thoughts have people." Yeah, I mean, that's that. If you if you can wrap your head around that one. It'll yep. blow out the side of your head. I mean, it'll blow out yeah. a it'll blow out a channel reality tunnel there that'll make you figure that out. But it's like, okay, but if I don't, if thoughts have people, where are they coming from? Well, I can tell you one logical source for me is the earth. I mean, we know this about the way the mycelial network works. We they, people talk about this all the time now, about how the earth's ground 
and that mycelial network is shuttling across the entirety of our human of our of our our earth structure massive amounts of information perhaps more information than the internet is currently operating with right that we're talking about a like For a sure. like a really similar amount and that's that's mind blowing how much content of that would be. So the earth can take a lot, right? The earth can take a lot and process a lot and do a lot. And therefore it can handle, it, can you handle thoughts having you? That's the big question. <laughs> right, right. Can, can, you, can you catch that groove? Because it's going to then really shrink your sort of self-protected identity around your job, your, your relationships, all these other things as being really, really yours and going to make you suddenly realize, well, if I don't have thoughts, thoughts have me, then the idea of making 40, making um, six figures a year um, is having me. And do I want that? Like you said, as you found out in your life, you were like, mm -hmm. is this really a feedback loop I want to participate in? And you push it into the ground and the ground says, and it diffuses and goes wherever it is. And whatever's not real about it does not come back to you. You know, right. um, I love that you talk about that grounded, that, that electrical circuit, because it's a great way for those non-meditators around who, who maybe feel a little unmoored in that meditation process is to say, Hey, just, just watch the thoughts come and go, but then also put them, put them into your body and see if you can transfer them into the ground and then see what happens if it comes back. Um, yeah. And the, the amount of, the amount of transferability for this into running, well, we'll go into that in a little while, but I mean, I have an entire theory of biomechanics that I'm working with currently and using with athletes that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, literally on a day-to-day -day basis where we're, creating a relationship with the ground and working with our relationships yeah. with the ground, not in an airy fairy, hippy dippy earth element way. Although I definitely will ride that train when it arrives, but in more of a way of seeing that, Hey, the, the primary thing that happens when we're running is driving off the ground and gravity is a reality that is inherent in that process. And as a trail runner, it, the ground is shifting and moving and never in any one place. That's another area that you can think about this with. If you think that the ground doesn't care for you and you're a trail runner, do you ever watch where you put your foot, Jason? I mean, it, there's all kinds of trouble underneath your foot, mm -hmm. but yet somehow your body and the earth work that shit out under the hood yeah. without you paying any fucking attention to it whatsoever. It just works. And those people who are new trail runners, yeah. they're always really, really uncomfortable at first because they're paying too much attention. They're not in that awareness space. Yeah. They're like trying to catch every little rock and thing that might be a problem. And then they end up stepping on every rock that's there. It's like, no, I think if you give it a little space, you'll realize really quickly gravity and the earth want your bet the best for you. They do. If you'll just let it, yeah. if you'll let it go, if you'll just let it, let it roll. Right. And then, you know, when you find yourself yeah. on top of Mount Columbia in a snowstorm, in a, in a, in a lightning storm, you know, you, you quickly realize, okay, I'm not, it, it's not, it's not all for my best benefit. <laughs> you know, like the earth still does what it does. Electromagnetism does what it does. The air does what it does. You know, electric, electric, you know, things just do what they do, but you have an opportunity to collect, connect and ground in that. And maybe, Make something better, make something more. For sure, you'll get meaning from it. I guarantee you, you'll get some level of meaning from it. So 
hopefully that helps folks and it's not too too way out there. No, I, I, I don't think, you know, everything that you're saying there, I think is totally inside the lines of the coloring book. We didn't really go too far outside the bounds today. <laughs> um, if you want to test this, this theory, though, about identification with thoughts and these energy patterns, it, it is true that the, so, as, you know, as you were talking, Steve, like, take the thoughts and feel where they show up in your body. You can test this. Thoughts and emotional responses require each other to exist. So if you are having, let's say, some kind of negative a thought, maybe it's anger, and you think somebody aggrieved you, and you're angry about what happened, that anger exists as long as you continue to think about the thing. But as soon as you let the thought go, the emotional response is out the door with it. And that is incredibly powerful. And so pay attention to that sort of thing. Rumination is the technical term for just sitting on the thought and then playing through that feeling, that emotional response you have and do it until you really feel it. Like it could take a long time for you, for, for a person to really start to make the connection between the thoughts and the, and the physiological responses, the emotional responses that we're having. Um, when you can start to, to see that connection, it's easier to start to, to unpack that, unwind that, let go of that. And that's like oh, for sure. the core of mindfulness. There's no doubt. And the thing about that is if you'll do that and then take it into the ground, like we're suggesting, whatever is left, right? Whatever comes back in that feedback loop, like we've been talking about, is a real thing that needs to be addressed managed, handled, and approached. So I think about this with deep sadness, anybody who's had a major loss in their life. Um, we need, you, your, your thought is create, your, your, the emotion comes up from a thought. Take it, ground it, bring it back out, and whatever's remaining is something you need to, you need to metabolize, something you need to use. Yeah. Whatever anger that flushes, isn't it interesting anger? I think about this to be on a highway. Guy cuts in front of you, shoot him the finger, he's screaming now. But if you stopped for a second, grounded, tried to connect it, come back up, you'll realize, oh, it doesn't really matter at all. And then all of a sudden, that feeling of anger is completely gone because it wasn't a real thing that needed to be metabolized and dealt with. But things like sadness, heartbreak, um, exquisite pleasure and joy, these things will enhance the critical, crucial piece we need to deal with in order to be effective humans will come out if you go through that grounding process. If you take the thought, push it through your body, find where it's sitting in your gut, in your stomach. I'll give you an example in the process of selling a house and there's all these emotions that go through your body trying to figure out whether there's a roller coaster that you're on when this process goes on. And, um, and, it, and it deals a lot with safety because you're not sure where you are and you've got a home, but you're selling it, you're moving out of it, you're wondering what the rest of the world thinks about it. Did you price it right? Blah, blah, blah. There's all these things. And I had all these emotions going through me that were good and bad and ugly and in between. And so I would just push them down into the ground, feel them in my body. Where were they? Oh, in the pit of my stomach, the pit of my stomach. And then I would push it into the ground. And what would come back was, I'm concerned for my safety. This is a good thing. I have responsibilities to the people I love. 
this responsibility is threatened in some way, shape, or form. What's the next effective step that I can take that's beyond an emotional response that also moves and acts in the world? Because this is the thing about grounding. Once that gets pushed down into the ground, just like biomechanics, when it comes back out, that shit wants to move. What happens when we don't do that is we don't push it into the ground. It just stays in this little circular function that I was talking about at the beginning of this conversation, not grounded in anything, not rooted in anything. And then you'll just spin and spin and spin and spin. And the only way out of that is to attach to another attention suck that will just pull you through social media. This is what they're doing to us. And I say they, I'm not saying there's some nefarious men in black out there trying to fuck with us, but certainly somebody wants our love and attention and they're making lots of money off of it. And like you said at the beginning of this conversation, stake your claim, man, stake your claim to what's yours. What do you really stand for? And what do you hold? Because here, my, the great Terrence McKenna, psychonaut extraordinaire says, if it's real, it can take the pressure. So my caveat to that is if it's real, push it through the ground, see if it comes back. Real pressure shows back up. The real stuff shows back up. And that's what you metabolize. That's what you alchemize. That's what you take and move into the rest of your life. How do you do that? Don't worry about it. Your body knows the score. It knows how to deal with it. It knows what to do. But if you haven't done something like grounding it or putting it into some other kind of practice, whatever practice that is functional and useful for you, it won't, it won't hold pressure. And, and it, if it won't hold pressure, it's not fucking real. This is the thing about people's goal times and racism all the time. Like, yeah, you got out there and you got right in the middle of it. You got into the teeth of it and shit didn't hold pressure. Somebody in a hundred mile race, if you don't really want it, you are not going to finish that motherfucker. It's you, the, the, if it, you want to ask about what's real and what can take pressure, it'll show up, it'll show up and it will try to steal it from you. Right. And sometimes like you found in Nolan's this last year, it, it took it from you altogether and you couldn't do anything about it. But you walked away from it disappointed, maybe a little devastated. But what are you now? You're just like, okay, I've got plans. Let's figure out how we can get it done the next time. It wasn't, it wasn't for me this time. All right, whatever. Is that, does that mean that there's some kind of fate out there or destiny out there? I don't know. I got theories about that, but I don't know. But it does mean that you're okay. You're all right. You didn't get hit by lightning on top of that mountain. You got off of it, figured it out. And I'm sure there'll be another stab at that, Nolan's probably coming to a theater near us soon, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. I think that's the perfect place cool. to end our conversation on groundedness. Cool. Awesome. Well, we're not sure what we're going to do for you guys next time. We, we, We'd scripted to this point, um, and now we're moving in unscripted areas. We've got some ideas. Um, if you have ideas and you want to throw us some topics or you want to hear us jab about something, we might be willing to, to, to at least address any issues you might have. Reach out to me at sisson at runnosis.com. I'll push it Jason's way and we'll ruminate on it. We'll ground, we'll, we'll, we'll ruminate on it and see what we can do with that. And uh, push it through the ground, see what comes back. Right. If it's real, it should take some pressure. So Jason, again, <laughs> thank you so much, man, for the time and, and your presence. And I just love these conversations. They, they really, they fuel me, they feed me. And I'm really thankful for yeah. you and, and our friendship, man. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. And our listeners, thank you for, if you're with us today on the 23rd of May, 2022, or if you find us in 20 years, pinging across some satellites somewhere in the nether sphere on 
maybe on Elon Musk's spaceship out there, uh, you know, welcome. We we hope you we hope we gave you something to think about and something to to ruminate on and um yeah. Godspeed, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later.